the city of David. It is back from captivity. But even in speaking about them being back, they are a, a shadow of what they once were. So really, the major lessons that we are learning as we are going through these uh, minor prophets is simply that the, the whole area of backsliding is something you should never entertain because there is a price to be paid. You don't ultimately lose your salvation, definitely, because it is eternal. But the price you pay is God's chastisement. That's the price you pay. And on this side of eternity, you are really never the same. Never. So you, you, you don't go that way. Don't even try, because there is a dear price that you pay. However, we also learn, as we make our way through the minor prophets, that the God who is there is one who has loved us with an everlasting love. A love that will be holding on to us to the very end. A love that seeks to restore us when we go astray. A love that gives us a second chance in such a way that even our backsliding becomes a source of our own uh, sanctification. We become a better people because of this love of God. Well, we've made our way through Joel, rather Hosea, Joel, Amos, and now we are in Obadiah, Jonah, and Micah, the, the second category of three uh, prophets. And having found ourselves in Micah, we are about to finish. So the Lord willing, the next time we are back to this book, we will be in chapter 7, and Micah will be behind us. As we already noted, Micah is one that primarily ministered to the two tribes of Israel. And so we see the word of the Lord in chapter 1 that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And then we are told which is so concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria being the place that uh, the other ten tribes had turned into their headquarters, hoping that that way the people of Israel would not go to Jerusalem to worship, because if they did, the fear was that they would then abandon the, uh, those ten tribes. However, we, we still have seen that the major message is that to Judah. And basically, he is warning about the judgment that is likely to come upon them because they are continuing in the very sins that uh, were true of uh, the people of Israel, the major nations. 
So if I could quickly give you the rundown, in the first chapter, we learned about how to respond to the warnings that are there in the scriptures. In the second chapter, we saw God's concern that we should relate not only in the vertical plane, but also in the horizontal. That we, our religion, our Christianity must show itself in our interpersonal relationships and not just our claim to worship. In the third chapter, we saw how leaders, especially religious leaders, can cause judgment upon the people of God. In the fourth chapter, we saw how God's plans are glorious despite him chastising his elect people. He loves us with an everlasting love. There's a loss, yes, but it is never a total loss. He brings us back because his love is eternal. In the fifth chapter, we saw in God's plan how his king would rise against all, go all odds and conquer. We saw that there was a weak beginning, but then this king finally triumphs the cause of God. Today, we are in the sixth chapter. And there, we are seeing God charging his people. He is producing a charge against his own people. And the best way to appreciate what is happening here is uh, if you've got a very wayward child, a very wayward child. You, you've tried, you've talked, you have used various forms of uh, uh, discipline, and this child just never gets corrected. So finally, you, you say, okay, okay, uh, before I bid farewell to this child, to say, look, you're, you're moving out of this home, this is it. Let me bring an uncle of his, or maybe a friend or two who I know have their heads screwed on properly. Let me bring them to be witnesses of this event. And so you bring them, and then you summon your son. And then you say, oh, it might be a daughter. And then you, you say to that child of yours, where is your problem? What wrong have I committed that you should stubbornly continue in the ways of sin and self-destruction? Is, is there something wrong with the rules that I've established in this home? Please feel free to, to bring them up because I am going to bring public charges in the midst of everybody else's here. I want them to know not only the quarrel that I have with you, but why I'm sending you away permanently, barring you from this place. So that scenario is something of what is being spoken about here, except it is one step further. It is a husband of a wayward wife, and he's done everything he could to get his wife 
to be faithful to him. And now he's about to send her away by way of separation or ultimate divorce. And again he feels that to, to just do that privately is, is not right. Let me bring an uncle, let me bring an auntie, let me bring some good friends that have morals around their lives to sit there as witnesses. And then I want to ask the question, why? Is there something wrong with the way I have treated you as, as a husband? Is, is there some excuse, some reason that you should still go looking for love out there? Because after this, we are parting ways. Unless you can show me where I have gone wrong so that I can apologize and amend my ways as well. Well, that's really the heart of what is taking place in this sixth chapter. It is the Lord, through Micah, summoning Israel, as it were, into this courtroom and saying, here is the charge that I have against you. And once we capture it that way, we learn some valuable lessons for ourselves as Christians. That the Lord wants us to have a, a monogamous relationship with him. He wants the whole of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength to be given to him. When we begin to divide God, our devotion to God, to our devotion perhaps to football and our devotion to whatever else it might be, maybe it might even be actual sin that is uh, directly forbidden in God's word. God is concerned that we come back to this. And if we don't, this is the reason why he finally chastises. So we begin then with the charge that he is bringing. And we see it being announced in the first two verses. Micah chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. God is summoning the uh, mountains and and so forth to, to come and, and hear. He says, hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. He's summoning Israel there. He's saying, I want you to speak for yourselves, to, to defend yourselves in the midst of these ancient mountains. The, the stable um, parts of this earth that never move. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment, in other words, a charge against his people, and he will contend with Israel. 
That's basically the courtroom being established. We have the ancient mountains that don't change, standing obviously for the basics of life and living, the, the issues of, of, of law that don't change, the issues of faithfulness that don't change, the issues of love that don't change. These are permanent structures as far as relationships are concerned. And he's saying, come and defend yourselves. He begins by asking the kind of questions that I was already illustrating in verse 3. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I worried you? Answer me that you should go after idols. Answer me what wrong I have done. And as though that's not enough, he proceeds to speak about his goodness to them, the way in which he has really blessed them. All the way from the time he rescued them from Egypt, all the way to the way he sustained them as he was taking them through the wilderness, all the way to the way in which he dealt with them when they were in the promised land. But listen to this, verse 4 and 5. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. Now, most of us will remember that story because uh, Balaam was being told by Balak to curse the people of Israel. And as much as he tried to, he kept coming back and said, God says he cannot curse his people. Three times over, God came back and said, I cannot curse my own people. He's saying, remember. And it's not because the Israelites were perfect. It was because of his commitment to the people. And the only time that they ended up being chastised was when Balaam told Balak that the only way these people are going to fill the road of God is when you make them go into idolatry and sexual immorality. And that's exactly what Balak did. He sent his beautiful young women into the camp of the Israelites and they ended up in idolatry, in sexual immorality, and judgment fell. And there it is. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal? That you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. The point there for us really as Christians is that if our salvation is not fresh before our minds, we will easily stray. If we forget Calvary, the price 
the dear price that was paid for our sin, we begin to think that we have been shortchanged, that there's something out there that is better than what we have in our Father's house. And we begin to want to go out there and get what we think we are being denied. When really we have been loved with an everlasting love. There is nothing outside God and his purposes for us. However difficult they may seem to be, ultimately, you are on the right side when you are on the right side of God. Well, Micah doesn't end there, or rather God through Micah doesn't end there. He imagines the, the people of Israel basically complaining. And they're complaining in terms of their own worship. The fact that God demands certain things from them in worship. But they are complaining in terms of it looks like you, you want even more. You want ridiculous amounts from us. Because you still seem to be unsatisfied. Look at the way they put it in uh, verse 6 down to verse 7. Now, obviously, this is a diversion. It's a diversion. It, it, it's what happens when people are unrepentant. And they, they then begin to, to exaggerate your, your demands as a father or your demands as a husband. They begin to exaggerate. And this is what is happening here. Listen to verse 6 and 7. With what shall I come before the Lord? Fish me fire. And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come with, before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now, God does not demand that. But if you've ever been in a situation where you are dealing with a rebellious person, you know how they deliberately exaggerate. What you are simply asking of them. They now make it look like you are a ridiculous father. Ridiculous. That's why I can't live in this house. That's why I, I if it is the wife, that's why I go looking for, for friendships. Friendships. Because of how ridiculous you are. But you can't ring rounds Ring, you can't put, you can't ring rounds around God's head. You can't. So, his answer to them is very simple. And it is this. I've already told you. 
You already know what I have been demanding of you. It's very simple. Verse 8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Just three things. Very simple. Just three things. Number one, to do justice. Number two, to love kindness. And number three, to walk humbly with your God. What is this thousands of rams that you are trying to start to bring out here to try and embarrass me? Are you sure I've demanded that of you? No. All I've asked is that you should be fair to your brothers and sisters. Just be fair. I've simply demanded that you, you live a life of love, loving kindness. That's so, all. And number three, that you are obedient to me, submissive to me, humble to me. And we often like that as well, when we are attracted by the things of the world, that we now try to make God look very ridiculous in his demands. And no, we are just human. You know, we're just human. But look at the things that are being required of us. Therefore, there's no joy in the Christian faith anymore. There's no joy because God demands an impossible life. When all he has said is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Chop. Chop. All those details are swallowed up in just these two commandments. That's it. If there's anything simple, it is the Christian faith. Simply love. Love me and love others. But instead, here is the reality of what has been happening in Israel that makes God have a contention against them and is deliberately primarily taking those at the horizontal level and these are the ones he pulls out. Verse 9 down to verse 12. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear the rod of him who appointed it. In other words, punishment is now coming. Why is it coming? Well, here are the reasons. Can I forget any longer? the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue 
is deceitful in their mouth. These are the facts. Don't go starting hiding in, you know, do you want me to, to offer my own baby out of my womb as a sacrifice to you? Don't go that way. That's a lie. You are, you are deliberately wanting to confuse issues. The truth of the matter is there is no fairness, there is no love, there is no humility or obedience with respect to me. That's the issue. And here is so much evidence. Are you honestly wanting me to overlook this? Can I forget what is staring me in the face? So there is that child who's claiming that you have come up with a, an impossible life in your home. Impossible. That there are draconian measures in this home. Draconian. And now you are responding and you are saying, ah. Let, let's look at the bare facts. Let's look at the bare facts. And you, you now start, you know, the other week it was this. The other week, you remember, it was this. The other week, it, you're just laying them out. And you are saying, do you honestly expect me as a father to live with this? Is this what you expect? Or with a wayward wife, you're bringing out the evidence. The other time, this. The other time it was on your cell phone. The other time I saw him dropping you off at the door there. The other time a friend sends me a picture. You were at a hotel with this. The other time, you're just naming them there. And you are saying, let, let, these are the things we should be talking about. Not claiming that you know, I'm, I'm an impossible husband. And, ah! Let's talk about these genuine facts. And with that, the Lord says, so because of these things that I cannot overlook, I'm now coming with punishment. With punishment. Verse 13 down to verse 15. Therefore, I strike, I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall be put away, but not preserve. Sorry, you shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. You shall sow but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. In other words, the chastisement I'm bringing is going to be terrible. It will leave you hungry. It will leave you thirsty. It will leave you frustrated in every sense. Not because I'm a bad God, but because you 
have continually lived in sin and in idolatry. That's the reason why I am coming this way. He's laid his case so that nobody is going to come around and say, no, this father just hated his son or that this husband just hated his wife. No, he's laid it down. In the hearing of the mountains and the hills. And then finally, he summarizes in the very last verse, both the cause and the effect. He summarizes. For you have kept, this is the cause, you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. You remember Ahab, the wicked king. And you have walked in their counsel. Here is the result or the effect that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing so you shall bear the scorn of my people. That's it. If it was the prosecution would say they've summarized the case. At the very end, everything is over and they've now just been brought in by the judge and say, okay, uh, prosecution, please could you now summarize your case? I just brought it down. Fine. You've been listening to bad people. Instead of my voice, you are now going to pay for your sin. And the people will now be joking and laughing at you because of the consequence of your sin. Brethren, this is not just about Israel. That's the way God deals with us as well. Before chastisement comes, God speaks. He speaks to us. He speaks seeking to, to bring us back to our senses. To, he, he, he appeals to our consciences. What wrong? we find with him that we should think that a monogamous relationship with him is not enough. That we should want him plus so many other things in our lives. What is it? He appeals to our consciences. And even where we are beginning to come up with false accusations against the living God. His word is the one that comes back to us saying that's not the true God of heaven. As his word is expounded, his word is read, as we meditate upon his word, God is genuinely defending himself as to who he really is. But if we still insist in going those ways, God finally says, chastisement is coming. 
punishment is coming. Judgment is coming. And we will be a scorn in the lips of other people. You shall bear the scorn of my people. That's basically what happens. And it does, isn't it? When people become so stubborn against parental counsel, and the parents finally say, okay, there's the door, there's the gate. To begin with, yeah. and off they go. I don't need this place. Manage myself. And they go from uncle to uncle. And each uncle after a week says, Ah, Lisa. When are you heading out of this door permanently? House to house to house. Before long, they become, as they say, a man of no fixed abode. Friends begin to say, what, what happened? And soon they become a byword. Because people start saying, you know, this person used to stay very well, very well, very well. But now we are finding him all over the place. All his possessions are now in a plastic bag. Becomes a scorn. Worse still when it's a marriage, isn't it? People say, you know, we used to admire. At Abba we But now we just meet her at lodges and at bars and beer halls and taverns. Very sad. Very sad, people say. But at that point, because of pride, because of pride, I don't need to be here. I don't need to be here. I'm going. Okay. But in the end, it's a disaster. That's what happened to Israel. God was appealing, appealing, appealing. Come back. My laws are simple. I want you to live as my people and I live as your God. Come back. No. And finally, they are driven into the far country. Assyria has taken its ten tribes. Babylon comes to take the other ten. And they become a byword. A byword. Christian is exactly the same with us. Exactly the same. You peep across the fence. You think you're missing something. God is saying, I am your summum bonum, your highest good. You continue stubbornly, well, chastisement comes. And yes, pride makes you say, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. I can manage pretty well. 
it's not long before people, especially God's people, meet you out there and they shake their heads. And they say, that person used to be, used to be, but look at them, look at them. And all that God wants ultimately is that you come to repentance. That's all. Just come to repentance. Humble yourself and come to repentance. He wants to restore you to a genuine relationship with himself so that he is your God, not one of your gods, and you will be his people. Let us make sure we take these words of Micah seriously. Amen. Thank God for the preaching of his word. In response, I invite you to rise to your feet as we sing the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Please do join me in standing. Yeah.
Amen. Please take your seats. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we thank you for speaking to us this afternoon service in words that were clear. Lord, as we go into the week, we think 